Welcome to the In Pursuit Podcast. Here we aim to inspire, inform, and entertain. We explore the human side of the workplace life cycle, from education and career choice to employee engagement and organizational culture. From onboarding and retention to succession planning and separation, we dissect the latest trends and interview the top leaders changing the game through their impact, leadership, strategy, and operations. Whether you hail from the field of education, nonprofit, or business, you're sure to find nuggets of knowledge within these episodes. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Hicks. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the In Pursuit podcast. Today, we're thrilled to be here with Nathaniel Provencio. He has worked in the public education field for over 20 years as a classroom teacher building administrator, and associate superintendent. During his tenure as a principal, he assisted his school in becoming a national model professional learning community and was winner of the 2019 Richard DeFore Model PLC School of the Year. He's been honored as the 2017 Prince William County, Virginia Principal of the Year, the 2017 Washington Post Principal of the Year, and the 2019 Virginia National Distinguished Principal of the Year. He is author of Community Connections and Your PLC at Work, which focuses on how schools can utilize the professional learning community framework to enhance family and community engagement. He is currently a national educational leadership consultant and works with school leaders and teacher teams across the country, implementing practices and frameworks that ensure all students and families are learning at high levels. We are so honored to have him today. All right, well, we are so excited to have you here. Kick us off by telling us a little bit about you that we didn't just hear in your bio. It's a great question. Well, um, it's interesting. I'm actually in Memphis right now. I, I live in Washington, D.C. area, uh, but I do a lot of traveling, traveling for my work. Um, so I'm in Memphis and I'm actually from Tennessee originally. So it's always a blessing to be back home. Um, I grew up in a small, small town in Tennessee. Shout out to Hardin County. Uh, Tennessee, and um, yeah, but I was born, you know, born and raised there, and uh, but I've actually lived in the D.C. area longer uh, than I than I did in Tennessee. So I, I have dual citizenships, if you if you will, from Tennessee and and in uh, Northern Virginia. <laughs> That's right. um, yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm uh, I got I got two little ones. I have a little boy, little girl. The the light of my life. They really keep me grounded in so many ways. So. Uh, uh, that's always uh, uh, a big why and purpose for doing what I do sure. as, a, as, an, as an education leader. Um, you know, recreation, it's funny. Uh, I, uh, I love music and I love the drums. Uh, I was in bands all throughout high school and I was in a punk rock band with my brother and we toured the country. I think we ended up making $27. Uh, it was great. <laughs> Uh, so any any chance I get, I'm always playing music. I'm always annoying my neighbors, playing the drums. I love it, um, you know. And I and I think at the end of the day, I'm just really passionate about about schools, you know. And yeah. I'm passionate about the potential that our school leaders have, and I'm passionate about uh, the opportunities that our public schools have to not only transform students' lives but transform communities. So that's that's uh, that may be a little bit more about me than Tim that's in my bio so I love uh, it there you go I love it well before I start hitting you with the hard questions um start us off with just a little bit more about um 
your book and your philosophy on customer service in schools and, and, and community relations. Yeah, sure. So a uh, couple of years ago, I had the idea of writing a, a book on a topic that I couldn't find enough research on. Uh, there were, there were uh, several books out there, like Beyond the Bake Cell and kind of Joyce Epstein's work um, on uh, uh, kind of like family engagement. But I, as a school leader, I was a principal at the time. I, I wanted something that was a more like practical strategies. We know that family engagement is important. Uh, we know that customer service is important, but I, I wanted a roadmap. Um, and I also have been a strong advocate for professional learning communities. And I saw a lot of correlation in raising student achievement through professional learning communities, but also while raising customer service. And so I took those two concepts and put them together and wrote a book called Community Connections and Your PLC at Work. It's a guide to engaging families. It's uh, published through Solution Tree. And I kind of I just wanted to write the book that I didn't have because I thought that maybe school leaders could use a resource like that. So I'm exceptionally passionate about uh, family engagement. I know throughout the last couple of years with the crazy pandemic, we've kind of locked parents out, so to speak, because you know we had to, to keep everyone safe, but we're gonna be opening up those schools. We're gonna be opening up things and uh, slowly but surely, we're gonna get back to not only business as usual, but better business, right? Um, and, and we need to be prepared for when those parents and families are coming in, because that, to me, is the best way to accelerate learning. Mm -hmm. It's not about a program. It's not about spending a bunch of money on programs and stuff. I mean, it's about investing in the most vital commodity that we have is our students, our staff and our families. And so that's what um, kind of uh, is my passion. I love that. So one of the things that that came to mind um, as we were briefing before the show and, and just now is, you know, where, where does the customer service element or the, the parent voice, right? Where, where does it fit in some of the, the really extreme stuff that's happening in states like Texas and Florida, where they're, they're really dictating to the teachers exactly what they can and can't say and do. Do you feel like that is a good representation of parent voice an active representation? Do you feel like that's a movement in the right direction, in the wrong direction. Tell me your feelings about that as just a, an a education expert really passionate about the parent voice. Yeah, that's a good question. I've been, I've been asked that a lot recently. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, yes, you know, uh, I'm in Tennessee right now. There's a lot of things going on, you yeah, know, in Tennessee, one, yeah. right? Yeah, Tennessee's another one. But, but here's the thing. Educators, we've got to remember that it's all about compassion and empathy. And just because a parent or a family member or a community member has a different viewpoint from yours, we have to remember everyone cares about the kids. Everybody wants the same thing. And, and how we go about it may look a little bit different. But here's the thing that I'm, I'm noticing, that for so long, regardless of the demographics, regardless of the social, socioeconomic demographics or, or whatever you want to look at, middle-class, rural, suburban, uh, the parent and the community voice has not been in our schools as much as we would like to think. When you really think about it, mm -hmm. they have been kind of like, we do our job as educators, you do your job as parent. 
If we want your opinion, come join the PTO, or we'll have a couple of parents making decisions for all parents, right? Um, and, and it's not that that's been on purpose. It's just been our public school educators have not been trained to be able to be that kind of advocate for their community. We're, we're, we're trained in, you know, how to teach reading and math and how to, you know, go through different resources, but we're not taught specifically how to reach out and create great customer service opportunities and engagement and empowerment for parents and families. And here's what's going to happen. Because maybe our parents and families haven't had that voice inside the school, they're going to find that voice and outlet outside the school mm -hmm. with whoever's going to listen. Right. And that could actually be a detriment to what we're trying to do. So you, 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 uh, one of the things I talk about in my, in my book is about creating not an open door policy, but a doors open policy. We need to make sure that parents have a voice inside our school as much as possible. Even if that interpretation or that viewpoint is different from ours, mm -hmm. every voice matters. And we have to be able to sit down at the table and say, okay, let's look at the curriculum together. Let's go through those standards together. Let's look and see exactly what our social studies curriculum and standards are going to be looking like so that we are very transparent about what we're doing. So a family member or a parent doesn't have their own interpretation of something that's not truth, that, that's not the truth, right? It's when we stop being transparent, it's when interpretation happens. And we have to open those doors, create a doors open policy, which means just like we want our school doors to be open, that door goes both ways. So sure. we're going to meet parents where they are. We're going to meet parents, um, you know, where, where they are, as opposed to always forcing them to meet, meet to meet us where we are. So you got to have that open communication. And that's how you get to um, maybe that's one of the problems that we have right now is because that communication has been more one sided. So do you think that? Well, I guess I have two questions. So do you think that misinterpretation of what's really happening on the ground based on these kind of barriers of communication is driving some of the distrust that's happening between parents that then is driving some of these kind of political uh, fueled movements to to take certain pieces of curriculum out? I mean, is it is it that if they really were at the table and understood it better that it might not um, draw such fear out of people um, in that sense? Or do you think it's just two really diametrically opposed views on how their children should learn that are that are coming to a head? Yeah, that's 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 a good question. There's a book by Malcolm Gladwell um, called Blink. I don't know if you've ever mm -hmm. heard of that book. Oh yeah, but Malcolm there, Gladwell is my favorite author, actually. Oh, he's he's great, right? We all strive to be like Malcolm. <laughs> of um, course, no, no one can live but, up to that bar. <laughs> I know, right? It's a good, it's a good, it's a good goal to good have. Good bar to have. But, you know, you asked that question, and I don't know if I'm going to answer this or not, but the first thing that came to my mind was about medical malpractice lawsuits. And this is articulated in that book, Blink, mm -hmm. and that you could be a highly skilled doctor, but if you don't have relationships with your patients, then you're more likely to be sued or be, be part of a medical malpractice lawsuit because you don't have that relationship. Mm -hmm. versus maybe a surgeon or doctor that may not, not be as highly skilled, but has great bedside manner, has great relationships that they, even though they may also screw up too, right. that they're less likely to be sued, right? right. Because there's a relationship there. So yeah. I just, I, and I also think about, once again, the pandemic. We've, 
we've kept parents away, right? Yes. And there's been so much political um, unrest. There's been so much emphasis, uh, you know, right, wrong, and different, you know, lots of social justice right. kind of conversations that are coming up. Um, and, and I think that all these big things have happened while our parents haven't been part of the table. So here's what we got to do. We got to get our parents back in the table. We have to make sure that we also, with that being said, are creating schools where parents want to come back in, where we're more inviting than we've ever been before, Mm -hmm. where we see every parent as, uh, as a, as an asset and not as an obstacle. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the, the hard thing, maybe a little bit unfortunate is that our school leaders aren't trained. They're not trained to be able to, to do this. They don't, they, they're trained to, you know, handle maybe building management, instructional leader, leadership aspects. But when it comes to really cultivating a, cult, a customer-centric focus, they're not there. So, right. so, so here's kind of like an outside-the-box thought. Instead of focusing on programs, let's focus on people. Let's try to say, even if, you know, even if we, we, we're having some some uh, uncomfortable conversations. Let's open up those doors and get our parents and our families into the room and, and hash it out and be more transparent. Um, talk about the results of our school. Ask them what they need so that they can be a part of their public school. Every parent wants the best. Every parent wants the best um, for their kids. They want the best of their community. Sometimes they don't always know exactly how to go about it. And educators don't necessarily know how to help with that process. So that's one of the things that this book um, kind of talks about is, is how to do that. Yeah, I think that's excellent. And, you know, it, it really permeates. I mean, that's what I talk about in the, in my work with the workplace life cycle, which includes education as the path to where you're going. And, and particularly as children uh, develop the skills, both uh, curricula skills, as well as kind of the soft skills and the emotionally intelligent skills of how they end up in the workforce and then how that affects us for generations, right? As as we see a lot of different uh, things in the workforce today that we would not have seen 20 or 30 years ago based on what happened to the way that kids were brought up through the school system and through other things. But people and trust is really at the core of everything, right? Relationships and trust are, and it's what is driving some of the workplace issues and it's what is driving some of the discontent in, in the world. Now, there, are, there are obviously dramatic actual crimes happening that have, you know, that are coming to light. They've always happened, but have been coming to light. That's a different thing. But the most basic, at the most basic level, right? It's about human connection. And building that empathetic connection with with another person who can have a completely different idea or mindset if you just and and you can still have a positive interaction and a um, civil dialogue with them. Right. And that's that I think, you know, is really uh, missing in not just schools, but in a lot of different places. I am part of a I'm fortunate to be a part of an organization called Future of School and their mission um, is a little bit in the they're in a revamping of their mission, but their mission is to amplify the voices of students, parents, and teachers. And the sole purpose is is just to do that. How do we build connections where people talk to one another, where parents and teachers talk to one another, where parents and administrators talk, where their voices can be amplified to the things that they really care about, Yeah, um, which is really at, at exactly in line with, with what you're talking about here, which is how do we, how do we do that? So 
what are what are the steps? What is yeah. what does a principal do to begin this dialogue? Right at the most basic. I mean, I guess the teacher is at the most basic level, but let's say a principal, the first administrative level. What yeah. can they do at a school to enhance this? You just mentioned uh, mission, right? You mm -hmm. just you just talked about mission. So let's mm -hmm. let's let's start there. Let's talk about why, and then let's drill down to to kind of what and, and how. Um, you know that Nike. You know their tagline, right? You know the shoe company. Mm -hmm. What is that? What is it? Just do it. Just do it, right? Um, do you know their vision statement? Yeah. Okay, right. All right, but we know their tagline. Right. Right. It's a it's a shoe company, but we know their tagline. Bear with me here. So their vision statement is something like, to, and I might butcher this, but to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. Okay. Short, easy. Why am I talking about tagline and vision and mission? I ask this question. To principals across the country, eight out of 10 have, 10 have no idea what their vision statement is. Okay. Now that's the principal, right? Now you ask teachers, hey, what's your school's vision statement? Okay. Then we're lucky if we get five out of 10, lucky if we get 50%. Now ask your parents of school A, right? What's their, what's the vision? What's the purpose of your zero idea right, right. now? Ask, ask a student what their vision state. They might know their tagline, right? Mm -hmm. But we have to remember, and this goes back, our public schools are non-for-profit institutions, right? Mm -hmm. And they're a business and our principals are CEOs, chief education officers, mm -hmm. but they have no idea oftentimes what their vision statement is. You go on their website and it's right there and it might be like a paragraph long or it might be something. But, they, but we have to first start, you know, reinvesting in our why. What is the purpose of this school? What sets this school apart from everybody else? Why do I say that when it comes to, to, to family engagement and, and customer service? Why should I invest in something where they don't even know where they're going? Yeah. Why am I just showing up because you happen to be in my community where I reside? Parents, every teachers, every students, everybody wants to be part of something bigger than themselves. Right? Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. we and, and we spend all this time buying. I don't know what are we? What are principals doing right now? Quarantining and contact tracing, K ninety five and and all kinds of stuff. God bless them and and buying programs and trying to spend all this money. Uh 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 uh. That's not about accelerated learning. Double down on your vision. And when it comes to your vision, once you know exactly what kind of school you want to become, then you focus on your mission, right? Yeah. What are the big things that you need to do as a school in order to get to that vision? And so when, I, when it comes to this part about a mission statement, do you have a statement? Do you have a commitment? Do you have a covenant of understanding in your mission statement, school leaders, that actually talk about your parents, your families, your community, your stakeholders? Look at your mission statement. If it's not there, you're missing out on a huge opportunity to actually get that bottom line of ensuring all students are learning. Mm -hmm. So vision, mission, and then look at those collective commitments. Now, and all of this is basic PLC foundational work, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because we, I, when I talk about collective commitments, I have a lot of questions about what that looks like, what, what that sounds like. And those collective commitments, once again, is basically a covenant of understanding of what we are expecting with our teachers and our staff that we hire. Do we hire high emotional, intelligent people? Do we, do we hire people that have a heart, that have a, a passion, not just for kids, but for parents and families? 
So, yeah, there's not only do we want to focus on vision, mission, but we want to focus on those collective commitments as well. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny because I'm a, I travel a lot and I stay at a lot of terrible hotels, but every now and then I get to stay at a really nice hotel, right? So shout out to the Ritz-Carlton right now. I'm not staying at the Ritz-Carlton right now, but, but uh, I did have an opportunity to do a couple events. And one was at the Ritz-Carlton in Sarasota, Florida, right? I'm trying to <laughs> shout out. Maybe, maybe they can give me some free Might be the or best one in like the country, that. I might add. It's, 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 pre- it's pretty nice. But when I, and just bear with me on this one, right? But mm-hmm. as soon as I, as soon as you walk into that place, man, you feel like they know you by name. They literally roll out a red carpet for you and you're a stranger, but they're, tra- but everything is just, just so, so customer centric, right? And I remember staying there at that, the, at the Ritz at Sarasota. And um, I was so enamored by their level of customer service. I asked to speak to a manager. The manager was very gracious. He came out and talked to me. It was wonderful. I asked them about like, is this on purpose? Like, what are we doing? And he's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a whole, we have 12 rules, 12 commitments that we kind of like our gold standard for our customers. And so we were, we were just about 15 minutes. We had this conversation. He gave me a little, a little, little pamphlet about those. And I was so enamored by that. Um, I started thinking about what those commitments would be like for our educators, right? And so, so I'm going to read them off real quick. Um, and just something I just, school leaders and leaders that are listening, this is, this is how Ritz-Carlton would do it if they ran our schools, okay? Number one, I build strong relationships and create learners for life, right? Now, this is, mm-hmm. this, is, this is what they do, but imagine it from a school perspective. Number two, I'm always responsive to the express and unexpressed wishes and needs of our students, staff, and families. I am empowered to create unique, memorable, and personal experience for our students, staff, and families. I understand my role in achieving our school's goals and benchmarks for success, embracing our role in the community, and creating um, um, a, uh, a, a mystique for our school. I continuously seek opportunities to innovate and improve the education experiences at my school. I own and immediately resolve student, colleague, and parent concerns and problems. I create a work environment of teamwork and lateral service so that the needs of our students, staff, and families are met. I have the opportunity to continuously learn and grow at my school. I am involved in the planning of the work that affects me at my school. I am proud of my professional appearance, language, and behavior. I protect the privacy and security of our students, staff, and families and the school's confidential information and assets. And 12, I am responsible for uncompromising levels of cleanliness and creating a safe and accident-free environment at my school. So love that. those are so powerful. Now, that's what they do for the Ritz-Carlton. And they purposely train their, their employees from the, from the custodial staff to the management to live out those 12. Can you imagine if we just took that and incorporated a Ritz-Carlton fill in our public schools? Like those are the types of collective commitments I just think that we need to double down on, not only with the staff that we have, but the staff members that we have coming. And like hiring is hard right now, right? No, you know, mm-hmm. it's, I get it. Um, but there's still that, that passionate educator that, that, that is out there. And I would much rather have an educator with a high EQ that's driven on, um, customer service for their students, staff, and families than someone that is, um, you know, that, that knows all the instructional, you know, pedagogical techniques, man, that stuff can be trained, but EQ can't, right? So that's right. what I would be looking, that's, that's what I would be looking for. Yeah, I love that. I, um, I, I don't, 
I don't think we do enough thinking about this topic at all in education, right? And I come from a higher ed background first and a K-12 background second, but um, rather than the other way around. But, but I don't, you know, we, as a consultant, I've done some projects around um, process improvement and kind of the customer experience at the higher ed level. But most of it was about, it still didn't have the mission focus that you're talking about, right? It was about, how, where are the bottlenecks in the process? And yes, if you can alleviate the bottle, it's a generally better experience for either the student or the parent, depending on which the, what the process was. But it really wasn't mission driven, right? There was no why behind it um, necessarily, right? I mean, it was mainly about the what um, and then the how, right? And so I, I find this to be really a, such a, an awesome way to think about it. I want to switch topics for a second to and and come back like do a circle around here to you know we've we've touched a few times we've preempted the idea that you know one of the biggest struggles in education right now is not dissimilar to anything that's going on in the world but the great resignation and the big quit is real it's it's real across literally every industry but education sure. is hit even harder because it's not I can't tomorrow well I could someone could not tomorrow go and become a teacher, right? It's a whole process. There is education and credentialing and licensure and, you know, all kinds of things that go into it. It's so we can't just pull from anyone. Uh, not that we, nor do we want to, right? But um, what do we do to keep teachers in their roles? The great resignation is not the first issue we've had with ter teacher turnover. That's been happening for a decade. Mm -hmm. And the three-year burnout is real. And the dwindling of education programs that are actually leading to teachers. We get a lot of people still in the education programs in college, and most of them go and do something else afterwards for some reason, um, for, for one reason or another, I should say. And so how, how do we use this, use this mission-driven, customer-driven mantra to, you know, recruit and retain teachers? Great question. So we've been talking a lot about customer service and customer experience for families, right? Um, our teachers and our staff are tremendous customers. Um, and so we need to see them as such. And so here, here's what I learned um, as a principal, as a superintendent, that people don't leave education. People leave people. Yeah. And, and people also will search for people that have a purpose. And one of the things that we've lost in our school setting is that we have stopped investing in our people. And I'm not talking about pay. I'm talking about purpose. I'm talking about just like we want to build relationships with kids. We talk about all, that all the time. Hey, relationships. Nobody cares how much you know until you know how much you care. You know, that's been thrown around. But we need to start caring about our teachers. Right. Because they're, they're our frontline troops. So when it comes to these, like, like school leaders, they're doing the best that they can. And I'm, I'm, but like, you know, don't hand out M&M bars or M&Ms and candies and chocolate bars at Teacher Appreciate, Appreciation Week. Show teacher appreciation every single day. Take time to walk around that school building and make a personal connection with every educator that you have. Um, don't, don't go to your teachers when there's problems, 
go to your teachers when you're celebrating all the great things that are happening, instructional leaders, right? Build relationships with, with them. We have to understand that those teachers, that's someone's spouse, that's someone's son, that's someone's daughter, that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a mom. Like, and we, we have to be able to see our teachers as, as these, this, this tremendous asset. Um, and we have to make sure that we are treating them uh, every day um, remarkably and not just waiting for events, right? I mean, that's, I mean, I think people see through that. So when it comes to like, um, we need to be able to create conditions and ecosystems of excellence that our teachers can thrive in. I will say this else, young teachers are leaving because they felt like they had to do everything by themselves, you yes. know, everything by themselves from, from, from academic pedagogical planning to behavior and doing this and doing that, when they have to do this stuff by, their, by themselves, they're going to leave to try to find people. And so great schools understand the importance of strong cultures of collaboration as well, so that principals and school leaders are doing everything they can to not celebrate individual efforts, but create a culture of team efforts. So those individual teachers are always doing things with their team. They're planning with their team. They're, they're, they're co-teaching with other individuals. They're co-celebrating. They're co-crying, co-indigestion, everything that goes into right, to, to right. teaching, right? They've got to do that as a, as a team. So great school leaders understand that they have got to invest in their teachers. Don't wait for Teacher Appreciation Week to do that. Every day needs to be teacher appreciation, but we also need to set up our young teachers and our veteran teachers with support services, right? So that everything they do is, is that collaborative team effort. Teach, I see it all the time. I see it on TikTok. I see teachers celebrating that, they, that they've left, they've quit the profession. I guarantee, a lot of those teachers, if they had a relationship with their principal, if they had a relationship with their colleagues and they felt a sense of strong purpose of, of a collaborative culture, they wouldn't be leaving. They would be right. grinding it out and they would be doing everything they can to be, to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, so school leaders, if you're listening to this, invest in your teachers now and you be the one. And if you're not good at it, because not everyone's good at it. Mm -hmm. Then learn and find others around you that are good at celebrating and acknowledging. Um, um, and, it, and, I'm, and I'm not talking about jeans days and parking spaces and, and shakes and all that stuff. Man, just a pat on the back, just an affirmation that, you know, Nathaniel, you're doing a great job. Thank you. That's it. That's all you need, right? Consistently and meaningfully. Yeah. Um, and if schools that, are, schools that are doing that well are having very few teachers leave, I guarantee it. I love that. And you know what? We, I had this discussion with a workplace expert not that long ago too, which is if you have connected, if you have a, and I can't remember if this was on a podcast or just in a conversation, but um, it's the same concept. If you have an employee who you make them feel valued, uh, give them the flexibility they need when they need it in the ways that they're asking that are responsible and, and can make the business work compromise where you can, but in a positive and reinforcing and connective way, they're likely not going to be recruited away for 10 or even $20,000 more because the value of the relationship is so much more uh, than the risk of the unknown just for more money, right? Like money is, and you see sociologists have been studying this for years, right? Workplace sociologists, there are study after study after study that money is not the top motivator unless 
there is a negative culture, right? In negative culture, money will draw your way. In a yep. positive culture, that's not a deterrent because we are meaning-driven pe- beings, right? Like yeah. people thrive on meetings other than a few sociopaths out there. We all thrive on meaning, right? And meaning is much more important if it's authentic and if it's real and you're just likely to stay and to, and to dig in and to do the best work you can for the organization that you feel is doing the best by you. Yeah, I mean, school leaders, and once again, they're not trained to do this. They either have it or they don't. My thing is like, listen, that's where we need to be doing professional learning. Um, It's not on programs. It's not on phonics programs. It it needs to be on people programs. That's, that's, you know, I've never met a teacher that that left the profession and said, you know, I'm leaving because I didn't like that phonics program. You know, they're leaving because they didn't have a relationship and didn't see the relevance in things, right? Right. So, so that's where we need to be doubling down uh, on our on our efforts. We we are um, at a crossroads in public education, and you know Einstein's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. As Absolutely. as trivial as as that may sound, we've got to change directions. Now is the time. Now mm-hmm. is the time. Now is the time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch gears and ask my, my favorite uh, education question uh, of, of every episode, which is tell me a, an early education memory that, uh, that could be from you as a professional or as a child that just really hit home, that really stuck with you over the years, something that was meaningful. Mm. There, there's a lot. You know, that's, I get asked that question. And it's like, if you say one teacher's your favorite, there's like 50 others that were also I, like your favorite. I know, too, you know? I know. So but I, I did have some some uh, some good educators. I I want to talk about my first educator though, and that was my mom, you know. And I and I and I and I say that because our parents are our kids' first educators. They're the first mm-hmm. teachers. May not always be the best, but they're the first, right? Right. So um, so I'm gonna give a little shout out to my mom. She uh, was the first in her family to graduate high school, 1977, um, and. She, had had me uh i was also born in 1977 so i had a very young mom right Right. um and my mom hard working did absolutely the best that she could with me but i think about her dynamic as a little girl in abject poverty growing up in the south um you know she did not come from a family that valued education um, you know, their values were, were very, very different. And so my mom did the absolute best that she could to make sure that both her son and, and, uh, and, and my brother, her, her kids, um, did everything they could to value education. Now, my mom didn't know how to, what questions to ask at a parent-teacher conference. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my mom didn't know questions to ask at an IEP meeting or a special education meeting. Um, my, my, my mom didn't know exactly how to look at curriculum and see what was gonna be taught. She didn't have the skill set uh, or the time necessarily to help me with my homework. It was, son, do your homework. You, you know, that was, that was it. I was like, wow, I'm not really doing my homework. So, it, you know, so, but my mom, she did the best that she could, right? And so, so, you know, maybe I didn't appreciate that at the time as a kid, but man, I appreciate that now. And so, so much of the work that I do now is for my mom, because there's a parent out there that was in the same circumstance as my, as my mom and dad, right? So I want to do everything I can 
to make sure that 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 moms and dads and families, no matter what the family looks like, that they have the skills skills that they need to not only to be involved in their school, but to be engaged in their school and to be empowered. That's my that's another why that I have. So um, big props to my moms. You know what I mean? So there you go. Love that. Um, yeah, really, um, my mom, I had the blessing of having a mom that was a teacher. And so Mm. I, uh, she was a second grade teacher. Well, she taught a few other courses when she was super young, but basically was a 30 year second grade teacher. And, uh, I also think that early education from your parents, whether they're a teacher or not, it, they're just, when they do what they can to love you and to build the curiosity in of life and learning into you, it affects you forever. Right. And yeah, so, absolutely. yeah, I love, I love when people answer that with their mom. Cause I also feel like, um, like I said, I was, I was dual blessed by having a teacher of a mom, but, um, but yeah, both my parents were very uh, in, inspirational in the sense of like, go figure it out kind of people, which, you know, <laughs> It's very much a Gen X parent. Yeah. Kind of oh, yeah. Thing, right? Oh, yeah. No, I got you. I was yeah. locked out of the house from dawn till dusk in the yeah. summer. You know what I mean? So like people um, think that this is the walk up the hill in, in the snow, you know, kind of story <laughs> that our parents, our, our grandparents told. But the truth is, we yeah. really did just get on our bikes whenever we left the house and like be home by dusk. There were no cell phones. So uh, it was no there were no cell phones. But, you know, but I but but I'll say this in all sincerity, too. Like I've been in I was a teacher, you know principal, assistant principal, you know, superintendent. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, you know, I get it that there are parents and families that are very challenging. I understand. I get it. And, and I, and I've heard it in the break room. I, you know, on Facebook, you know, the social media and all where, where, where a couple of parents are just, you know, they're, they're, they have a lot of stress going on. They do the best that they can. And, um, you know, and they can be, topics of conversation that may not be as positive. Okay. Let me just put it that way. Mm-hmm. But I, but I would encourage our, our school leaders, it starts with you to make sure that you are creating opportunities for your parents and um, for your students, I'm sorry, for your teachers and staff right. to celebrate, to celebrate the great parents that you have. Take those top kinds of opportunities at a faculty meeting to say, we're going to talk about Rosa Provincio for a second, parent mom of Nathaniel Provincio. What a great job that she did with X, Y, and Y, and Z, right? We want to we want to just take a moment to thank our fathers over here for coming to that to that uh, dads and donuts, you know, opportunity. How blessed are we to have parents and families that care so much about their kids? Mm-hmm. Do we do that in our school, or do we let the break room and like the and the faculty room and those negative conversations permeate our culture? We have to be systematic with our praise and our celebration. If it's what gets praised, gets raised, right? Yeah. And so that, so, so I just, I would hope that my, um, that my work with school leaders and, and through this book and, and these types of conversations, just, just give a little pause um, because that may be why we're having so much negativity out there right now is because maybe parents haven't been praised enough. And so now they're, they're seeking out other opportunities to find purpose when really we wanted them to have purpose in our public schools. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. Well, we have unfortunately come to close to the end of our time here. So I want to uh, thank you so much for joining us. I feel like there are 
more conversations to be had. And we might have to do this again, a part two uh, down the line. Uh, I like that. I like, I like that. it. Uh, there'll be there'll be more stories to, to chat about. But um, tell everyone how they can get in touch with you if they're interested in having you come and help uh, as a consultant or if they want to just have uh, the resources of your book and maybe some other resources that you have on social media. Um, how can people find you? Yeah, um, on Twitter, it's at Proven Principle. So that's a great way to, to find me. Give me a like, uh, DM me. Um, we can start a conversation from there. I, my website is provenprinciplellc.com. Um, so that's also a great way to get a hold of me. Uh, for those school leaders out there interested um, in professional learning community work, I'm a Solution Tree uh, consultant. So you can go through solutiontree.com and you can request me specifically. Um, or you can just, uh, um, just find me on social media and, um, and just request. I do family engagement work. I do professional learning community work. I do, um, education leadership work. Um, so I, I try to, uh, uh, help out in every way that I can, um, with, uh, my company proven principle LLC, our vision statement is that, uh, we're ensuring, um, educational excellence for every school every student and every family. And that's, that's my why. And I won't rest until that, that happens. I love it. I love it so much. And I love that you uh, follow your own advice and put your vision forward. <laughs> There's no, I need to uh, make sure I start doing that. You've inspired me to make sure I have that in the forefront of my, of my pitch when I do this for my own company. So thank you so much. Thanks for joining the In Pursuit podcast and for coming to meet me uh, virtually and uh, share your expertise with my audience. So appreciate you. Awesome. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Take care of your families. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support us by hitting subscribe or providing a rating or review. And as always, how can we help you answer the question, what are you in pursuit of? Find out more at www.inpursuitresearch.org.